Um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. This is where we're going to be today. It, it, this is a, a, the, the turning point of the book of Ephesians. Oh, if you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up. The ushers will grab one for you. I, I have been so excited about getting to this chapter and so excited about getting here because it kind of takes us out of the, the first three chapters where there just isn't much application. It's just remember and believe and know and take confidence and, and rest and sit in. And so it's this beautiful section of three chapters where we're just, we're just kind of saturated with who we are in Christ, what he's done for us, what that means for us as, as adopted children. And we, we, we kind of just have been spending the last couple months resting in that. Well, chapter four is the, the, the pivot. It's the turning point. It's the, it's the step into the little bit more practical. It's the step that brings us to a spot where we can start seeing some of the applications, some of the, what does this really mean for those of us today as believers in, in Jesus Christ? What does it mean for us to believe and understand and know with confidence who we are in Christ? And, and, and as we get into this section, we're going to, um, probably slow down a little bit because there's more stuff that could be defined and, and brought clarity to and, and understood. But, but one of the things I want to just, I just, I really need to caution this because it'd be so, so easy for us to um, jump into these next three chapters with some breaks for Christmas Eve stuff and other things like that where we would just start getting so kind of bogged down in the application of what does it really mean to walk or stand or, or how does this practically play out in our life with, with Jesus Christ that we may and, and unintentionally forget the first three chapters. And, and it's, 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 I cannot emphasize this enough. We can't do anything we can't do a single thing. We can't move forward in the very first verse of chapter 4 without remembering all the truths in the first three chapters. We have a, we get, we have a propensity or a, a, a tendency in this as we get practical to start divorcing the two. And what ends up happening is we have this one side of our brain that, that says we believe these things and we believe these truths about who God is and what he says I am and how he, how he says I am to live and, and what does it mean for me to truly be holy and blameless and adopted and have every spiritual blessing. And we have that side. And then we, we, we can tend to, to kind of set that on a shelf like some book of theology and say, well, practically now, here's how I'm going to walk. Here's how I'm going to live. Here's how I'm going to, to move in light of that truth. But, but we, we, we don't really do it in light of that truth. We, we just start moving, moving forward. And one of the things that I loved about beginning this book was because I felt like it was so incredibly practical for us as a church today. That, that the, the, the letter, the pleading that the Apostle Paul is doing with the, with the churches at, church in Ephesus and the surrounding areas is, is not, not a rebuke. It's, it's such a gentle and beautiful encouragement. But it's an encouragement that's, that's steeped in don't forget who you are. Don't lose sight of what he's done for you. Don't lose sight of what's already been accomplished. If you fast forward in the Bible just to the book of Revelation, in chapter 2, we see the Apostle John writing to the church of Ephesus. And what is he doing? He's not doing a gentle encouragement. He's doing a harsh rebuke. He's saying, you, you forgot your first love. You, you forgot. And somehow in all of the, the theology and the teachings through, through the Apostle Paul's letters and, and, and Timothy pastoring here and all the work that was spent there by so many of the kind of pillars of faith, you, you lost your first love. You, you, you abandoned it. And so if, if, if it's something that can be easily done for the early church, why would we assume that we are not susceptible to that? So before I even move on, I just, I just real quickly want to remind us just of a few things, 
specifically that we have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, that God has chosen us before the foundations of the world, that we are holy and blameless, that he's predestined us, he's adopted us, that according to his purposes and his will, and his grace and his glory, we are blessed in Jesus Christ, who is through his blood we have redemption. That actually one of the other truths that we rested in was that that the power of what we need to actually walk in faith, to to move from just an understanding of seated with Christ into actually playing this out, that power is ours to its fullest extent through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We cannot forget that. It's almost like this, this scale right here. It's like the, 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 the pedestal to the scale is sitting between verse three, chapter 3, verse 21, and chapter 4, verse 1. There is no verse, in case you're looking. You're like, wait, wait, there's no 22. There isn't. But it's, 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 this, this scale is sitting here. And if we aren't careful, we can get really heavy on one side and forget about the other. When the scale is intended to sit level, it's not meant to be one or the other. We, we know if, if, if it's tipped one way that we're obviously got more of this and less of that. So the entirety of uh, the book of Ephesians is, is resting. The pedestal of that scale is sitting between verses 21 of chapter 3 and verses 1 of chapter 4. And the very first side is who we are in Christ and understanding our every spiritual blessing and, and resting in that. And then we make this really big turn. And the Apostle Paul, it's interesting, even his, his language is almost like the way that he starts communicating here. He's so excited that he, 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 he kind of winds up. And you remember the, the first, first three chapters, we had these long, beautiful kind of doxology-like prayers and that are just steeped in theology and, 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 and amazingness of what God has done for us. And now he's literally, he's just going to kind of focus in and he's going to hit us really, really direct with what does this mean? In light of all of those truths, so you're going to hear me over and over again, remember, some of you that may mean that I challenge you to still read through chapter one of Ephesians over and over and over again, and don't stop doing it until those words become something that you truly, truly don't, not just believe intellectually, but it sets into your heart and you realize this is who I am. I am this person in light of what he's done. So chapter four begins with a therefore. Obviously, we've always said this in the church. It's kind of one of those one punny things. What's the, you always got to say, what's the therefore, therefore, right? Like, haha. okay, great. Therefore is here because in light of, and, and I want to be really clear, it's in light of not just, not just what was said right before it, which a lot of times it's a transition for what was there. We, we kind of added the, the breaks in the chapters. When, when this letter was being read to the Ephesians, it wasn't like they were going, okay, well now chapter 3, verse 1. No, they were just reading this letter. And so a lot of times, therefore, we can see that it, it, it bridges the gap of what was just said. This, therefore, though, this, this is not a bridge for what was just happening in this little section of chapter 3, what Danny covered last week. No, this is for what has happened in chapters 1 through 3. He says, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. We talked about that again. It's, it's the understanding that, that even though Rome had imprisoned Paul, he believed that he was imprisoned for the Lord. It was the Lord's, it was the Lord's will for him to be there. He was serving the Lord, and that's why he was in prison. And we, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. He says, I urge. And now this, this word there's some disagreement on. Some want to say that this word urge is actually a strong, strong kind of begging, pleading. And others would say, no, 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 it's, it's, a, it's, a, strong, it's a strong exhortation. Like, no, no, you, you got to listen. Please hear me. Hear me on this. 
It's almost like, it's almost like the three-year-old that says your name over and over and over and over and over again, right? If they want you to hear so badly. And so it could really be either. I think in, in kind of in line with where the book is and what's happening here, I think it's more of a, an exhortation, an excitement. It's a, it's a, I urge you, please, please listen to this because this is, this is so key. Now, when, when the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is penning this, he, he's not forgotten the first three chapters. What he's, he's believing and understanding is that, hey, okay, I've communicated the best way I can what needs to be understood about who these believers, these Gentile believers in, in, in Ephesus and the surrounding areas, what it really means for them to not be second-class citizens. I've, I've emphasized that enough. They get it. I, I've kind of beat that into the ground. Now, and this is where most of us get excited. Well, now what? Okay, I, I'm adopted. Okay, I, I got every spiritual blessing. Well, now what? And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing. He's saying, hey, I urge you, listen. Listen, this is, this is so key. This is so good. You've you got to hear this because in light of that truth, let me tell you, let me tell you something so important. I urge you. I plead politely. There's another way to say that. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So it, the very first thing that the Apostle Paul does, which is, is, is amazing, when it comes down to practicality, is he hits this, this word, walk. But he uses it, and if you remember, way back at the beginning of Ephesians, we talked about it, Dr. Voorhees actually mentioned what worthy meant, and worthy was that scale. Worthy was, was the, the, the actual meaning for worthy is that the scale is measured, is, is, is perfect. They're completely even. There's not one more weight on the other. It's, it's even. It's in check. It makes sense. Walk can translate, is, is frequently used in the New Testament kind of to, to refer to daily conduct, day-by-day day living. So this is, this is important, and I, I love saying it that way because, because a lot of us may see the first three chapters where we're told to sit, and then we may come to this and say, oh, get up and start walking. No, no, no we never leave this seat. We, we never, ever, ever leave this seat. Our day-to-day conduct is, is rested and planted and rooted in who we are seated with Christ. So when you and I walk, it's our day-to-day lives, we cannot ever leave this position. Because when we leave this position, guess what happens? We start walking on our own strength. We start doing as much as we possibly can to make it work for ourselves. Or we work it, in, it out to where it makes sense for you and I to do it, as opposed to what God's will is saying to us. So, so our day-to-day living, walk, in a manner worthy, balancing of the calling which you were called. Now, this isn't, some have used this calling as, oh, I was called to be a pastor, or I was called to be a nurse, or I feel God's calling to, for you to marry me. Don't use that, guys. That's a bad, <laughs> bad statement, okay? <laughs> but that's, that's not what he's talking about here. The calling he's talking about isn't about an individual vocation, it isn't about what, what we're going to do for God. The calling is the, the, the very calling of me being adopted into his kingdom. I have been called a child of God. I am not, I did not do that. I did not earn that. It was a work of him. He has called me. And so he says, now walk. Your day-to-day life should measure out that scale to equal out the truth of who you are in Christ. That's essentially what he's saying. He's saying, look, just walk in that manner, that worthy amount, measure it out. If you are adopted child of God, no, well, walk like one. Live 
like one. Be one. And that's, that's essentially what he's saying. What's hard for us is that, is that if we're honest, and as we get a little bit further, we're going to see a lot of areas where our, we, we believe all these truths about us, but the scale's kind of getting, the beliefs are deeper and deeper and deeper because the walk is, is very shallow. Because the, the, the lining up of those two, I mean, I believe it, but on a practical basis, on a, on a, on a day-to-day life, like even though I believe it here, it's, I'm really not living it out. I'm not seeing it. And the Apostle Paul does something that I think is so beautiful, and we don't have time to unpack every single aspect of this. However, it is brilliant what he does. He, he, he lays out for us, okay, well, what does a worthy manner look like? What, what does it look like? And, and most of us would say, okay, well, a worthy manner would be, um, well, we've probably got to be tithing or, or giving, and we've got we to gotta show up at church. We've got to be in a gospel community. We probably shouldn't cuss. We probably should, you know, should, should limit what we drink, or we should, shouldn't be fooling around with, with these people, or we should be safe or pure in a relationship. A lot of us will kind of go to these tangible, practical things. That's not where the Apostle Paul goes. In fact, the Apostle Paul goes somewhere that, that that makes us understand that the book of Ephesians has less to do with me on an individual level and more to do with us on a collective level. It has more to do with us together. So what does he say? He says, I, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Well, what does that worthiness look like? How do we tip that scale? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So he lays out, we're going to cover three of them. We'll hit the rest of them next time. He lays out three really large, simple words. Humility, gentleness, and patience. So let me ask this question. Have any of you, and it's just a show of hands. Let's just be real here, okay? Have any of you ever been impatient? Raise your hand. Anyone notice your impatience is worse this time of year? Like, I don't know why. Traffic's worse, whatever it may be. Okay. Have any of you ever been harsh? Raise your hands. Well, don't be excited about it. I mean, <laughs> have any of you been prideful? And some of us, we, we, we recognize that. That's, well, that kind of stinks by show of hands, right? So, so why these three characteristics? Well, first off, there's something we have to understand about the Apostle Paul. These are mirrored in, in Colossians 3. We see them there. The great love chapter that everyone loves to do on, on their weddings Corinthians chapter 13, all three of them are present there as well. Uh, just in case you're one of the fruit of the Spirit, kind of there too. And so there's this, this theme that Paul is telling us that, okay, so what does it really, what does it really mean for us to, to walk in a worthy manner? Well, he says it, it takes all humility. Well, let's start with humility. Humility is, is, is actually a term that is used in the Old Testament in one way, but, but New Testament was kind of a new term. But really the Romans and the, and the Greeks didn't have a word for this initially kind of around Jesus' time. This was, this was kind of a, a new word in a sense that it was, it was more of a derogatory term. Humility was something that they would use to, to make fun of someone else. It wasn't, it wasn't a term that they had necessarily come to, but it was a shameful lowliness. It, um, it was something that, that most of us at this day and age think it's a, 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 an attribute to desire. In Jesus' day, when Paul was writing this letter, this was, this was kind of a new thinking. But if you can just remember a couple things with me, one thing that we can say specifically as a follower of Jesus is we are to be like Christ. 
We are to, to, to walk like him. We are to talk like him, to live like him. What's the, the very premise of, of Jesus Christ? Although being equal to God, humbled himself to become man. So the very root of who Jesus Christ is, equal to God, does not count that as his, his right. Instead, humbles himself to be man, to be the perfect sacrifice so you and I can be right before God. So if we were to say anything, Jesus is, is perfect at humility. In fact, Jesus is the one person that could say, you know what, guys, I am so humble, and he's not being prideful in that. That's the, he's the only person that could say that. Right? He's the only one that could come across that. But yet, the Apostle Paul is saying, this is, this is how we, the scale evens out. If we understand, then we have to understand that, that we're, we're, we're to walk with all humility, which is like some humility. No, all humility. And so, so why? Well, this isn't new. Jesus said the very thing. Like he said this over and over again. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We, we, have, we, have seen, we have seen Jesus say that to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must come low. You must be low like one of these children who most every single person that day would have looked down on and said, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be at this level. So humility is not a mistake. Humility is not a negative thing. Humility is a beautiful thing. But I, was, I was talking with, with Debbie yesterday, and she said this in a very interesting way, which kind of was both brilliant and confronting to me as well. She said there's two kinds of pride, really. There's the, the obvious, arrogant, overt pride that we all recognize and we've all seen in ourselves. You know, when you can't be wrong, like you see it all the way through. It's like you were wrong a long time ago, but you just keep dying on that hill because like, you're just pride. When you, when you sit and you see yourself as higher than, right, it's the obvious pride. When you basically look at someone else and say that I am of more value to, than you, it's this self-centeredness. Well, what Debbie said yesterday, which I thought was brilliant, was she said that there's also the form of pride that's this self-deprecation or this self-esteem or this victimizing. When everything's, why me? How can this happen to me? And what you're doing is, is at the root of pride is self. One way is, is over, I, I deserve this. And the other way is, is, is it's, all, it's, all, it's all happening to me and I'm a victim of everything. And I'm butchering what she said, so hopefully it's not completely wrong. But Pride lays itself out in so many different ways. You know, you know what, how another way pride lays it out? Is that for me to say, and I've challenged you guys, like, are you holy and blameless? And you should all raise your hand. I'm holy and blameless, right? But you know how that becomes pride? Is when you believe that you earned that. When you operate as though you had something to do with that. To, to utter statements like, you know what? The Lord is, 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 is working in my life and everything is just perfect. Like, I have, I have not messed up anywhere. Pride. Pride. In fact, the Apostle John says, anyone says they're without sin, they're a liar. So pride is, a, is, is the opposite of God's kingdom. You want to see a scale get tipped. In fact, I would say it this way. Without humility, you will never ever get to gentleness or meekness or patience. Without humility, I really don't think that you have a full understanding of the left side of the scale. You don't have an understanding of who you are because let's, let's think about this. Who made us holy and blameless? Well, that was Jesus Christ. Okay, well, who, who granted us every spiritual blessing? Jesus Christ. Okay, who adopted us? Well, that's, that's God. Okay, so what did you have to do with that? Nothing. Nothing. You just are a part of this amazing, beautiful redemption plan through Jesus Christ where God has called you. He has, he has called you a child of his, and he has, he has made you a co-heir with Jesus Christ. 
So to enter into God's kingdom with any kind of pride, do you see how ludicrous that is? This is, I made this joke at, at the church I was teaching at last week. I still have yet to find competition in the Bible amongst his bride. But to even sit in a spot where saying, well, my church is doing better than your church, pride, scale. Pride is, is at the root of every single sin we have. Why? Because we desire self. We desire our own way. So how, how, do, we, how do we level out the scale? How do we, how do we get the scale to kind of balance out? How do we make this worthy? With all humility. And with all humility, we can see that, that everything that we have, everything that we have is a gift from God. Everything that we're going through is to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. So the good, the bad, whatever it is, we have no room for pride. So, so church, whether it's overt or hidden, whether it's acknowledged or, or, or battled, we're all going to wrestle with pride. And, and here's why. Because we were born into the sin, and sin is rooted in pride. So, so to assume that you're not prideful at all, trust me, like you are. I am. We are. So how, how do we do it? Well, we, we humble ourselves. It's an interesting statement. It's the very first three chapters. How, how do I become more humble? I, I look more like Christ. Well, how do I look more like Christ? I believe who I am in him. You know, it's, you know what's interesting? Is a lot of times people want to take the calling, and we wrote it out this way, is that calling, a lot of times people say calling, and they say, well, it's my, uh, my talents, my opportunities, my occupation, my work, and that's my calling. No, that's your reputation. That's your, that's your reputation. And what, what God is doing here is he's saying, no, no, your, your calling is your position in Christ. It's, the, it's the, the, the formation that's happening through Jesus Christ. It's the position he has done. Oh, he seated you with Christ. And then he gifts you. And the difference between that is it's not, it's not reputation, it's identity. When you identify yourself as a child of God, there is nothing you, nothing Bren can do that's worthy of anything. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, what should I boast about? There's nothing, there's nothing to boast that's worthy of anything other than Christ. So just before we move on, because this is the root of it all, pr pride is, is going to happen in our lives one way or the other. Confess it. Repent it from it. Here, here's, here's the harder part. When, it, when you're confronted with it, don't roll out more pride. No, I'm not. Look, someone may be wrong. They may be wrong. That's right. But but, but you should, anytime a fellow believer in Christ says, hey, it looks like this is something I see in your life, right? I, I feel like maybe there's some arrogance or, or you're, you're, you're thinking more of yourself in this situation. Humble yourself. Man, I, I don't want to be that way. And then he moves on to gentleness or meekness. Another word. And gentleness is, is interesting because it's, it's, a, it's an attribute that we're all commanded to have as a follower of Jesus. So you're, you're meant to be gentle. So if you're just like, I'm just kind of a rough around the edges kind of person. I'm just harsh. That's just the way I say it is. If you're in Christ, you don't get that excuse. Gentleness is actually, you know, the word it's meekness that's used kind of synonymously in the New Testament. It's a really beautiful word because it means great power under control. In fact, it was used like, like the taming of a wild horse. Well, the wild horse still has all of the power to its means, but it's under the control of the rider. Well, for, for followers of believers, you know what that means? That means the power of Christ is ours, but we are under control by God. 
when we confess him as Lord and Savior, what we say is we are, we are his. He is in control of us. This is why pride is so silly. When it comes to gentleness, if you want to be gentle, it's, it's a control issue. You've, you've, you've forgotten. We've forgotten when we're, when we're harsh. We've forgotten, well, probably pride, first off, where we, we believe that we deserve something. But when we are harsh, we've forgotten that we're under the control of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's in control of us. So whatever right we may have, whatever power we may have in a situation, we surrender completely to his will and his purposes. So this is for you, bosses, managers, leaders. Whatever power you have was a gift from God. You're there because God allowed it. Don't, don't you dare exploit that. Don't you forget who you are under control or who is, who is in control of you. Gentleness is an amazing thing. In fact, I think all of us could be more gentle. And this is one of those areas where I've justified aspects of my life where I can have moments when I can be less gentle. That's wrong, just so you guys know, okay? You can pray for me. That where I, where I believe that, oh, well, in this situation, I did this, this, and this, and this is biblically true, so therefore, boom, bring on the harshness. That's not how it works. Jesus is fully grace, fully truth. He did them both beautifully together. That does not mean we don't share truth. That does not mean when someone confronts you on your pride, you can't go, well, you're ungentle, okay? <laughs> you could have said this in a more gentle way. And maybe there's truth to that, but gentleness is something we're called to have. And then patience. And, and patience is one of those words that I think we, you know, there's like Christian sins that we all accept, like speeding. That is breaking the law. The scripture does talk about that, but we just like totally accept it, right? I'm in a hurry. <laughs> I got to go do something for the church. God, you'll forgive me, right? Like we, we just kind of, blow past it. Well, you, you know what's, what's, what's beautiful about the word patience is it, it's better said long-suffering. See, and, and when, I, when, I, when I heard it that way, it made me feel, well, very convicted in, in my lack of patience at the time. Because most of the time, while the reason why I'm impatient is because I believe that the suffering that's happening to me, I don't deserve. And I'm entitled to not have that person drive slow in front of me, or that person take forever, or my kids not get out of the house, or my wife take forever. Like, I, I believe in some way that I'm entitled to something. When the very root of patience is that I am long-suffering. That means that I'm willing to suffer. So not just wait for my kids to get to the car because I might be five minutes late, like the world's really ending. No, no. To be patient, to be patient, is to say that I'm willing to suffer as long as it takes. I need to be more patient. So the Apostle Paul lays out three different ways for us to, to, to measure that scale out. Humility, gentleness, and patience. So, so why does he do that? Well, we'll get into that next time, but I'll tease it out a little bit. If we are to operate, which is the purpose, if we are to operate as the bride of Christ on earth, well, then we're going to have to be a lot less prideful, a lot less harsh, and a lot less impatient with one another. We, we can't really operate like the bride of the Christ if we are prideful, harsh, and impatient. So for you, what, what is it? Like, there's a group of people that I was a part of at one point, and they had this idea where we were saying, what's the that's just about someone? Oh, you know, that person, they're just a little quirky, you know, or they're just, they're just a little weird, or they're, you know, don't worry about it. They just, they just come across harsh, but they're really, really nice. And, and, and this can maybe be fun, maybe turn into a, a massive, awesome fight for you guys later on, but ask your spouse, what's the that's just? What's the thing that people say, well, that's just Bren. He's just impatient. It's okay. If the that's just is opposite of the fruit of the Spirit, we don't get to justify being it. I don't get to justify my impatience because I think there's a 
more worthy cause for it. That's, that's not the fruit of the Spirit. That unbalances the scale. And in fact, at the root of it, and this is not to sound too harsh, but the root of it, it's hypocrisy. To say I believe all of these things are who I am in Christ and to walk with no humility, no gentleness, and no patience, bold-faced, hypocritical thinking. So, so for you, what is it for you? The band's going to come up, and we're going we're gonna to sing some more. We're going to worship. And, and I, I, again, this is, trust me, there's lots more in Ephesians, so it's going to be lots of fun, okay? There's a goal in this. The Apostle Paul isn't, isn't saying this as I don't want to say it so that all of us can just feel like dirt about ourselves. No, the Apostle Paul is saying, in light of who you are in Christ, this is what it should look like. This is, this is how you are to operate. So, so parents that lack, imp- lack patience with their kids, that's not what God's called you to be. That's not how God's called you to act. So college student, 20-year-old, knows every single thing there is to know about the world because I was there too once. The pride that we carry at times, just, just know this, it, it opposes God. And I would rather posture myself in a way, and, and I struggle so much with this, but I'd rather posture myself in a way by God's grace, through his strength, through his power and the Holy Spirit that we have. Remember, you can't, you can't separate first three chapters in a way where I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing more grace due to humility than opposition due to pride. So whatever it is for you, where you are, whether you're, you're struggling with patience or grace or gentleness or you realize maybe that the, the truth is that, that you're, you're just not a gentle person. I can tell you right now, that's a painful thing to hear. To be confronted on something like that, it's, it's really, really painful. But, but here, here's, here's why the Apostle Paul's saying this. He's saying this because, because of what's coming after this, which is, is, is if we're going to operate like the Bride of Christ— if we're going to be the hope and the light and the salt in this earth, if we're going to be a part of God's master, glorious, beautiful plan, which involves you who surrender to Jesus Christ, we're going to be a part of that. Then we have got to see the scale more worthy. And the, the more worthy it is, the brighter we are for Christ. So it has nothing to do with us. The more worthy it is, it's not like, okay, I can finally be less hypocritical though there's truth that. No, the more worthy, the more balanced I am, the more I look like Jesus Christ, which is our goal, which is our purpose on life, which is, which is all we should want to do. So whether it's, it's gentleness or grace or, or pride or, or impatience, what, whatever it may be, if, if, I guess I should just say this, and I'm sorry I called the band up, but if you have a spouse or a family member, you guys are standing, you look good up here, make me feel good. <laughs> if you have someone that you realize in your life that, that you know and you have relationship, maybe this is your spouse, and, and you're like, oh, you know, maybe my wife's sitting in the, out there right now going, I got to confront Brent on his pride, oh boy. Like, whatever it may be, right? Let me just say this. Probably the, the worst time to do it is while you're walking the door. You know, honey, you're pretty prideful and move on. Like, that's probably not the way to do it, okay? Let me, let me, just, let me just encourage you. But that doesn't mean it doesn't need to be said. If you, if you have prayed for that person and you believe that God has put them in your life and they, they, they lack gentleness because that's just who they are. And you realize that this is, this is a shortcoming. This is an un- unworthiness of the scale. This is a tipping of the scale for the belief that I know that that person says they believe. Well, then as, as a brother or sister in Christ, as your spouse or as a follower of Jesus, wherever it is, whatever your role is, it's, it's, your, it's your, your role to, to lovingly approach them in that. And, and maybe it is through yourself first and figure out where the areas you are impatient. If you notice someone's impatience, maybe you should ask, hey God, how am I impatient? That's a fun one, right? 
but we're meant to walk this together. We're meant to do this together. And so I, I would encourage you guys to, to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, as the Apostle Paul urged the people in Ephesus to do so. And, and that worthiness begins with humility. And humility means that when we're wrong, we're willing to, to admit that. When we're wrong, we're willing to, to walk through that. So when someone says to you, hey, hey, Brian, you, you're, you're really not gentle in that setting towards your kids. Instead of you going, oh, okay, thanks, moving on. It's like, ah, you're right. C- can you help me with that? Would you walk with me in this? Because I, I know that that's not what God's called me to. I know that that's not measuring out the scale the way it's supposed to. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for humbling yourself. Jesus didn't have to um, humble himself, but he, he willingly surrendered to your will so that the benefactors of that will could be us. Um, God, I thank you for his humility. I thank you for his statements like the last shall be first in the kingdom of heaven. And God, I pray for uh, a people to be more humble. I pray for uh, I pray for us to see the areas in our lives. God, would you just shine a light in our lives where we are, we are proud, whether it's in our, in our parenting, maybe it's in our jobs, maybe it's just in general. God, I pray that you would just, just shine a spotlight on that. Don't allow it to hide in the darkness. Don't allow us to, to pretend or minimize it or, or move it or kind of dodge it, but just, just, just give us the strength to walk into it head on. Knowing that while we walk into these shortcomings of our pride or our, our impatience or our gentleness, God, that you, that you have us seated with you as a, as a loved child that is holy and blameless. God, we pray for, for a worthy scale. We pray for a, 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 a measured out scale where our belief of what we, we know of who we are in Christ plays out in, our, in our, our daily lives, Lord. I pray for the individual that's here today that maybe doesn't know who you are. Maybe they are just thinking of all the proud Christians that they've met or they're still wrestling with the church in some way. God, would you um, show them in some beautiful way that this is, this is the plan that you had here. The plan was to, to redeem an unredeemable people, to, to put those people together to be your hope in an incredibly broken and dark world. All the while, those people flounder about striving to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. It's by, it's by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, that we live and we move. And so, God, I pray that your Spirit would, would bring about fruit in gentleness, patience, and humility. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.